Shalom Aleichem. We want to thank everybody for joining us at, now at 2 p.m. on Tuesday. We appreciate very much uh, those who joined us for Olami's fourth in a series of five shiurim for Spiris Omer and coming towards Mount Taira. We have the very special schuss today to have Rav Moshe Weinberger, the Rav of Ash Kodesh in Woodmere, New York, who is joining us for the first time. With God's help, our series will conclude next week on Monday, not on Tuesday, uh, at the same time, 2 p.m., with a share from Rabbi Yisachar Friend, who also will be joining us for the first time. I want to thank Rabbi Weinberger for taking time from his very busy schedule to be with us um, and for all the effort that was put in to make this possible. I'm sure Rabbi Weinberger needs no introduction. Many are familiar with the strong influence that he has, that he has on students young and old in Woodmere and in New York in general and around the world through his many, many shurim. Rabbi Weinberger, we appreciate you joining us. And with no further ado, Rabbi Moshe Weinberger from Woodmere. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rabbi Yudonin. And thank you to the Chevra, who I can't see. And I hope to be able to learn together with him. It's seven years. Shalayim. It should be soon. The the Agudakalu Benesoscha. Benesoscha says, that We are at the end of time. And our neshamas are not on the most exalted level, compared to the level of souls earlier. And therefore, he writes, We have to help each other. We can't do it by ourselves. Because each one of us alone, we don't have the strength. We don't have the strength to be marshalling our own tikkun, and certainly when it comes to the Malachas HaKadosh that each one of you is involved in trying to help other Jews at the end of time. So the next Hosea says, I'll talk therefore, Mama Oitzichim lehizoher bedoros halolu, yahavis chaveirim makshim. Therefore, we have to be particularly careful. And we have to work very, very hard in these last generations at the end of time that there should be great love among those chaverim who are chaverim who are listening, who are trying to hear, who are trying to understand. So I'm speaking to chaverim makshivim who I don't know. If I would know you personally, I would love you even more. And I hope one day that we could meet. I want to talk to you about something very, very important. The get to this sugya of of Ahavis Yisrael, of trying to understand what is it that we could do at the end of time. Obviously, this is something that requires tremendous hesbonanus, and I've spoken about it hundreds, if not thousands of times. I want to begin just by sharing with you uh, a tiny story that really I always have found very empowering. There's a story from Abitzel Gvorka, Schusi Galeinu, all of you heard of Amshnav. Rabbi Yitzhak is the beginning of that world. It's a great, great, great tzaddik. Comes from that place of the Chayzer from Lublin, and then Pshischa, and Kotsk. So there was a nice that happened with Rabbi Yitzhak that um, there was a Jew who was having a terrible sorrow. He had a child that was very sick and was already close to leaving the world. And this particular, this particular um, person 
did not really have a connection to Sadiqim and did not did not uh, travel to Sadiqim, but his wife was a big believer and she was begging him. They had tried doctors and everything. She was begging him to go to the Tzaddik for Mitzvah for Yeshua. And finally, he really didn't have the strength to argue anymore and he didn't have much of an argument was when we were going to a Tzaddik. So he went to Rabbi Yitzhak which is quite a schlep. And when he got there, he came to Rabbi Yitzhak, and he wrote a fiddle, and explaining the situation, and the name of the child. And Rabbi Yitzhak looked very intensely upon the fiddle, and he went to whatever worlds he was able to go to, and he was very sad. And Rabbi Yitzhak said, I'm sorry, my friend, I can't help you. And I think it's important that you get home as soon as you can. I, I can't help you. And the man said, but my wife told me that, that you're a big, you're a big uh, Paul Yeshua's. You're a wonder rabbiner, a wonder worker. I, I, so Rabbi Yitzchak said, look, I, I'm not a budget, so I can't help you. Uh, but I think that you need to get home. So he said, okay. It's true, you're not the Bible. I told my wife there's no tachlis. And he walked outside, and he went looking for a wagon that was going at least in the direction towards where he lived, towards that village someplace. And and he found a wagon, and as he's getting onto the, the wagon with a couple of people, all of a sudden he looks and he sees the Vitzel Gvorka is chasing, down, is chasing the wagon and running down the street. And the wagon driver immediately stops it and, and the Rizal Gvorka gets onto the wagon, and everybody there stands up, and he goes over to this Jew, and he says, I, I came to apologize, I'm so sorry. And the man said, but Rebbe, you already apologized, and I, and I understand that it's in Hashem's hands, there's nothing you can do, and I, I, I have no kindness. So Rizal Gvorka said, no, there isn't anything that I could do, but I'm ashamed that when you told me about your child dying and you wrote it on the kvittal, I didn't cry with you. I don't know why. I don't know what, what, what was with me. How come I didn't feel your pain? I didn't cry with you. So the two of them stood there on the wagon crying with each other. And he said goodbye. And this Jew went home. It took him a couple of days. And he was fairly certain that by the time he would arrive home that he would hear bad news. But the opposite was true when he came and he came and he was walking down the road and he came to his whatever it was where he lived, his hovel. So the kids, including the one who was sick, came running out and his wife, everybody came laughing and dancing. And to make a long story short, it turns out, of course, that the moment that the fever of the child broke from the beginning of the Eschalt of the Gula, of the Yeshua, was that very same moment that Ravitsa Gorka was crying with the, with the father, was crying with this Jew on the wagon telling him, I don't know. I don't have an answer to your problem. But I, I feel your pain. And I care about you. And I love you. And the story empowered me over the years and still does to this day. I heard it around 25 years ago because as I get older, I find myself having less answers. And, and I find that what I'm turning to more than ever before is my treeless, my treeless for the people who I'm trying to, I'm trying to help. For the chaveim makshivim, my talmidim in shul and in yeshiva and so on. And the treeless 
the tefillah, the 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 tzaddik, the kolari, you said that tefillahs ohev neman is yoisim akubal b'shemaim. He called tefillahs hatzadik. Listen to the words tefillahs ohev neman. The tefillahs of someone who loves you with great with great faith, uh, who's bound to you. That those tefillahs, that tefillah is yoisim akubal b'shemaim. Is more acceptable in Shemaim, carries more weight in Shemaim. We call Tfilas Hatzadik from all of the Tfilas of the Tzadik. So the beginning, I don't have to tell you, but the beginning of this Malachas Akkadish of teaching and of reaching out to other Jews is to be an Ohev Neman. Is to be an Ohev Neman who davens for, who loves, who thinks about, who feels the pain. Of those Jews who Hashem has placed under your care. Because there's an unbelievable Shagafa protest going back many, many, many Gilgul, and we're not here for the first time. The Ariyakad said already back then that there were very few new Nishamas. So those Nishamas that somehow find you and you find them, there's a deep connection going back many, 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 many Gilgul, many centuries. And it could be that in the earlier Gilgul, it was the other way around. That, that person was teaching you and that person was helping you and reaching out to you. We don't know how these things work. The Arizal talks about Nishar Gilgul and the connections between the Shamas and how they travel together through all of these times and lives and lifetimes. So these people Hashem sent to you and somehow ended up whether there are five people that you're learning with or there are 500 people that you're t- touching, that you're connected to. These, were, these are Nishamas that these are Nishamas that, that have a long-standing relationship with you. And the Ikka, therefore, is to be Ohavim Ne'emanim. That's the Ikka. That's the Ikka. If you think that you have all the answers to their questions, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong Malacha. We don't have all of the answers. And we can't come up with all of the explanations. And as much as we try to prepare and as much as we learn, we don't know. And we, we have to be like Rabbi Yitzhak on the wagon. Because what Rabbi Yitzhak taught us, and what we learned from that nice is that the Yeshua does not always come with having the answer. The Yeshua comes always to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but very often, if not more often than in any other way, it comes to Davka feeling for the other person, that Ahava, that his kashas, caring for the family, the reaching out to the family, and so on. That's Aleph. That's Aleph. Now, Bez is connected, of course, to Aleph. I spoke to, I spoke to uh, around 100, 150 Sadiqim in London a few months ago, or Isaac in, in outreach in Kiruv, and I shared with them I shared with them a, uh, a comment that was made by one of, one of the great postkim of our generation, of our times, who's not as well known, because he was a Nechbel Akelem, he died a young man. His name was Rabbi Avram Weinfeld. He's the author of the Tshuva Slave Avram, which is a remarkable sefer. It's not really easy to get. It's a tremendous Lombish sefer. He was a survivor, a fiery, fiery Klosenberg Chassid, who I was able to know. He lived in Muncie and um, was a huge London. 
And at the end of the Sefer, he has a number of tshuvas in Hashkafa, in Avedis Hashem in Hashkafa. And one of them is on the subject of Kira Vachaikim. I'm going to share with you a paragraph. It's easier to see it in writing. I guess if I knew how to, I would have scanned it and sent it. I, I don't have a computer, and I don't know how to do that, but I guess if I, if you would be interested, I could have one of the guys who should take care of this and send it to, to Rabbi Yudon, and maybe he can get it to you. Really, it would be good to see the entire tshuva. It's a remarkable tshuva. I, I quoted it in a book that I wrote around 24, 25 years ago, called Jewish Outreach, Halachic Perspectives, which is at the time was the first cipher that ever came out on this subject. I wrote it one summer when I was very much involved in this uh, for the first time uh, in outreach, and I wrote the cipher back then. So there's a chapter that's called Associations and Methodologies. What risks may we take? That's in the book. It was published by Kitab, I think, in 91, maybe 1990. I don't remember. Um, so over there in Chapter 5, I, I uh, quoted... I translated from Rav Weinfeld the following. Listen carefully. It is certainly a great mystery to return wayward sons to the embrace of the Torah. But despite the importance of this mitzvah, the two has conditions and restrictions. If any of these restrictions are ignored, the attempt of Kirov is transformed into a mitzvah haboabaver, a sin against God. Whenever a Jew seeks to know if a prohibition may be violated in order to perform a mitzvah, he must consult the Shulchan Aruch or inquire of halachic authority and do as instructed, since his entire will is to obey the will of God. Similarly, regarding the question of leniencies and halachic compromises for the purpose of making Torah Judaism more accessible to another Jew, we must always turn to the Torah in order to know if such steps may be taken. Unfortunately, there are some who follow the improper path and are always prepared to make concessions and relinquish parts of the Torah in order to be makar of a chaykin. However, the truth is that it is not the love of fellow Jews that motivates such people, nor are they greater lovers of our people than the strictly observant Jews who refuse to make such compromises for the sake of sinners. The reason they are prepared to make halacha concessions is that they lack full faith in the holiness of halacha and the conviction that the Torah is the purpose of life. They view the Torah as being, God forbid, only a means to the preservation of the Jewish people. Therefore, whenever in their opinion scrupulous observance of a specific halacha will cause a Jew to reject Judaism, these people will ignore the laws of the Torah and will make any effort necessary to the care of the individual. The objective of these, the objective of these individuals in Kirov is the wholeness of the Jewish nation. And in their eyes, this end justifies all of the means. The true Torah way utterly rejects this approach. The objective, the objective, the end of halacha is holiness. In order to attain this end, the means themselves must be holy and pure, according to all the laws of the Torah. Now, the Leva Ram is saying a very, very important yisod over here. Of course, it's Nagayat to the Sugi, the beginning of Mesech the Shabbos, on Beis and Beis, in a long place. That what question of my making certain compromises in halacha in order to be the care of others for the sake of being the care of others? What I want to talk about now is where does this mashallah come from, that there could be certain leniencies. Again, pilots have to be asked of, of a posseg to know what leniencies can be taken. There are certain leniencies, of course, that can be taken. And we need to understand, to learn Baimek, what, what are the gedarim of that din, when Rav 
Weinfeld is talking about the mistake of those in Kiruv who think that they have a responsibility to bring back the Jewish people because the Tachlis is preservation of the Jewish nation and that that's a terrible mistake. That's really God's responsibility to preserve the Jewish nation. Therefore, I personally am not in this ball from any of the Pew surveys or studies that are made regarding all the statistics of intermarriage and assimilation. It pains me. It hurts me. I cry to see what's going on. But that is not a reason for me to cut corners in any way to make compromises when it comes to Inyanim of Kedusha and other Inyanim, Tashus, whatever else it might be, in reaching out to our brothers and sisters. Because I believe 100% that if the Barishal monsters is due to come back, that Baruch will send either myself as a shlich or another shlich, or there will be some other way that this Jew will come back. So what is my responsibility? So what I explained to the Hever in London was that there are basically two models of Kirov. This really requires a number of hours talking. I'm just going to say enough to cause you to become confused and probably upset. Uh, and there could be some follow-up in Mitzvah Shem. Now, let me, let me just tell you quickly what these two models of Kirov is. I understand that these are the two models of Kirov. The first is, his, is, is I call it Hishtadlis based Kirov. Hishtadlis based Kirov. That's what happened over the years. It became a profession. Uh, and as a profession, it uh, often is modeled after businesses and corporations. It's Ishtadlis based. Uh, I was very much a part of that world 30 years ago when it was just beginning to sort of become what was called a profession. I was very much a part of that. Um, I recall being told that um, I should shake hands of other people who I was working for uh, who were paying uh, for me to do that. I recall being told to shake a woman's hand and to rely upon a very questionable understanding of how we learned shot in the shach, uh, to shake a woman's hands because otherwise uh, how are we supposed to be makaravan and so on. And it could be insulted. It can cause people to leave and not show up and have less of a a showing, and then it's going to look bad, and then the guy who's funding the whole thing is not going to fund it, and so on. So the established-based business model of Kiros has become more popular over the years. That's why I left the profession, the official profession, because it was very uncomfortable for me. Uh, I was being asked to provide data and spreadsheets and so on in order to provide the Gvirim with the, with the uh, justification for continuing with the program. And I don't blame the Gvirim. The Gvirim they're tzaddikim. They're spending a lot of money. They're business people, and they want to see results. And the results they want to see, uh, usually the way it came out was, Rabbi Weinberger, how many people did you make from? Uh, uh, how many people did you make from between September and January? Uh, are there any of your people that you made from? How many of them are wearing shaples? How many of them are wearing hats? How how many of them are going to the mikveh? How many of them are shabbos? The very result-oriented business model. They're business people, and that's how they understand Kirov, and that's how Kirov became a profession. And when Kirov is a profession, and one stops believing the Bari Arlam as much as he used to, uh, then you could begin to enter into very questionable types of behavior in order to justify your mm, salary. Now, this is all obviously very complicated and very difficult because you have to earn a living. And if you, you're working for people who are um, expecting results, and they and they believe in spreadsheets, and and they believe in statistics that are somehow a marker, an indication of how successful you've been, because that's how it works in business. You know how much money you're making, and how many Jews you're making. So 
that's a misfortune that many people have, and it's a tremendous turnoff to uh, people, many people that I know, and I'm not quite sure what can be done about that. I'm not making a suggestion. I'm only talking about how you and I have to think, uh, despite the insanity that's around us, to remember that there's a second, there's a second model of Kiruv, and this is called Amuna-based Kiruv. Amuna-based Kiruv means that you're not selling Yiddishkeit, you are not sent to make Jews from, you don't have, we don't have statistics or spreadsheets to measure success or failure at all. There's a sentence from the Tzadik, Rabbi Nachman from Brest of Rabbi Nachman used to say, Abyssal is Eichkut. There's a very deep comment, there's a very deep word that Abyssal is Eichkut. A little bit is also good. That means that I believe the Amunashleima in this Mahalach of the Amunabase of Amunabase Kiruv, which means exactly that, that my purpose is to bring Jews closer, to add light into their lives, to add light. Therefore, I believe that I'm a shliach, in fact, uh, uh, to be a conduit of Hashem's infinite will. I'm not in control. I can't make this person from... I can't... I, I, I don't know what's going to become of this person. I don't know if he's going to be able to show up as a statistic of some sort of a conquest that I made that I could show some board of some uh, some on some board that here I made so many people from this year and now have events that have them you know twelve thousand people coming to my event. All I all I can do in the Amuna based cure is increase Jewish knowledge. Any Jewish activity, any Jewish knowledge, any chatzik zayas of excitement, of involvement, of feeling a tremor of a Jew feeling the tiniest little tremor of Amuna of that little, tiny little pimply yud being, yud somehow being reignited or ignited this time in life. That is my measure of success. I don't know, I don't know how to measure that. Meaning that is, that, that's what it means to be successful. Now I can't show that in any spreadsheet. I can't, I don't have statistics for that. And it's very discouraging when you're trying to prove that you're successful by, by, um, by statistics. But, to yourselves, and here's where we go back to the beginning, to each and every one of you who I see as, as great heroic people in Kalei Yisrael, don't measure yourself, Chas Shalom, in the same way that you might be measured by, by uh, the corporation or by the profession or by the gavir or whatever. Don't measure yourself that way. You measure yourself by Rebitza Gorka. You measure yourself by the love that you feel for the people who Hashem has sent to you. And you believe that Emunah that through your tefillahs and through your love for them, that somehow, in some way, even if you don't see it showing up in their lives, that it's going to make a difference maybe 10 years from now, maybe 20, maybe by their children or grandchildren, that you are the one that placed that, that, that seed inside of them. Because they looked at you and they saw you. And they saw you and they saw your wives. And they saw what, what Yiddishkeit can make a person into. And it planted something in their minds. It surrounded their hearts or something. Upon the heart, upon the heart, and the Chaska said that sometimes things don't enter into the heart, and at some point in the future, the heart breaks and the words will enter. Our job is to coat Jewish hearts, to coat Jewish hearts. It's not a profession. Avraham was not an outreach professional, nor was the Balshemtiv and the Chavos Chaim. They were Jews who loved other Jews who are on fire with the love for other Jews. And that fire of a love for another Jew 
is the, is the most powerful tool in Kiruv. And whatever anybody else tells you is the most powerful tool, and they start putting onto smart boards someplace all kinds of models that they picked up from the corporate world, so you can you can look like you're interested and you could take notes and maybe you can get some tips in some way to help yourselves in being more effective. And by all means, anything you could use to be more effective is terrific. But if you think that that's the shirish of Kiev and that somehow the tachlis is to show who you made from, um, the whole that whole thought I heard from so many Balichuva, how they found people in Kiev very often to be condescending. Like here we are, we're the ones who are giving something to you, poor, miserable ignorant slobs that don't have anything and the, we're the big macarism we're the ones who um, we're the ones who have what to give you and you, you receive from us it breeds a haughtiness it breeds a certain type of an arrogance and it breeds what the Revival was talking about it breeds a way of a, a way of life that often compromises in halacha we don't make compromises in halacha we believe that that, that if we observe halacha 1000% and we, and we can ask Shilas, of course we can ask Shilas. But when we're told that this is the halacha, so this is the halacha, and we believe that the Baal HaKerem, the one who owns the vineyard, the one who planted his vineyard, Hashem, who planted Am Yisrael as his Kerem, that he will look out for his children. And if I, and if I was sent to bring this Jew back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then I was sent to do it in the way of holiness, not by making compromises. Not like I remember there's somebody, there was a fellow that, that, was, that used to live here, that he would sit, uh, he was a 30-year-old guy, and he was sitting with 25, 30-year-old women, you know, in Starbucks, having three-hour conversations, which he admitted to me later on, um, uh, moved to different areas besides uh, the uh, 13 Ikari Hayamuna. So we have to be Elohim, we have to be God-fearing Jews, and to, and to be Shluchim of Hashem, and to know that Abyssal is Oyekut, Abyssal is and and in that schus, in that schus, in the schus of our crying with other Jews and for other Jews, in the schus of our looking up to other Jews as having so much to give us and having so much to offer us, in the schus of our tefillas, the tefillas of, of, of an Oyev Neman, which is Poel, Yoiser, in Shemaim, and all of the tefillas of the Tzadikim, we should be zarchid that in the end Hashem will take care of those children, of those Jews that were sent to us, and that he'll somehow bring them back around, and that they'll they'll learn more Torah, and they'll be and they'll keep more mitzvahs. And at some point, after 120, when we come to Shemaim, there'll be Jews that we never ever imagined that we were successful with, and that person will come to us and say, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Yomari. And I say, Rabbi Yomari, I, I I I met you once. For, you came to one class. I never saw you again. I couldn't put you down in my statistics of how many people I have attending the class because you left after one class, and. No, Rabbi Yomari, Rabbi Yomari, you don't know, you lit a fire in me. Imamish lit a fire in me. It took years, but you lit a fire in me. I want to thank you. Hashem is also help all of us to be Elohim and to give over to Hashem's children in honesty and sincerity. To be zerichah for that time, I'm shavu b'alam v'gulam 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 and thoughts and wonderful inspiration. I want to thank you on behalf of all the many people who have tuned into this call. Um, I want to remind the Seabor that next week on Monday, Rabbi Fran will be with us and uh, just close by thanking Rabbi Weinberger one additional time. Yashukar, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.